Welcome to The Open Door with Kelly and Kelly, brought to you by Collective Creations and Legendary Luminary. Each week, join us for discussions on spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical health with guests from all walks of life. We invite you to connect. So, Neil Ripsky, you are a martial artist. You have been doing martial arts for a long time, like myself. It's true. It's very true. Probably, I think we actually probably started within a couple of years of each other. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I started in uh, September of 1986. So, I would have been been 11 then. Me too. I I actually started when I was eight. My grandpa taught me how to box when I was eight. Oh, there you go. So that'd be like 80, whatever, three or... Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, grade five, bullies, grade six, beating them up. <laughs> Sounds like a good grandpa. Right? Yeah, good Irish grandpa. Yeah, and just was like, no, this is how you deal with bullies. It's like, oh, okay, all right. And you know, for for me after that, it was, uh, you know, what else can I learn? So, well, sure. Yeah, it's part so what, of what, what did you get started with? What was uh, um, the origin? It's point? kind of the same story as you, Kelly. Um, I was when I was really little. I was bullied by the kids at school, like grade one, grade two, you know, really little kid. And it just kept happening and happening on the bus because I lived out in a rural area in Canada. Right. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm stuck with yeah. these kids for 25 minutes a day each way or whatever. Right? Uh-huh. I know what that's. So that, that kind of went on until we, uh, we moved into a local town that had, in the arcade, I saw a poster for self-defense with the art of Kung Fu. And I was like, self-defense is what I need because I'm getting my ass kicked all the time and it yeah it was like love at first sight it really was i went into class and it was just the only thing that had ever hit me like that Mm. the only thing that had ever made my heart open that way so i just became very determined and i just never stopped like literally i tell students now that the biggest secret to martial arts is to just not give up you know just keep going things things change right everything changes so yeah, I started in Chinese martial arts. The uh, the teacher that I studied under was a uh, affiliate of the Canadian Jingwu in uh, Alberta. Oh, cool. Yeah, so I, I studied with them for I think it's about eight years or something. Oh, yeah. And then uh, then I met uh, Master Ma, which mm. is the guy who taught me the Ma family Shaolin system. Right. And and after that, I started to do more traveling, looking for other teachers. And that's yeah. when I started to deal with. Um, more Asian teachers, right? As I started to get to different places, get hooked up with different people. So then I started to study uh, all the internal styles. Like I really started internals in about 97 or something like that. Right. Cause as a kid, I was just kicking it Kung Fu style. Yeah. 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 As as a kid, I mean, perspective, you don't exactly know what's out there. You you get into something and you just sort of, you know, go for broke, especially when you're hungry and you want it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think that, you know, speaking of that, when you're when you're just not informed about what the martial arts are in the first place, you only can go in with your own assumptions from what you've seen, right? Yeah. So it's movies and TV and whatever. So people come in and they assume that's what martial arts is, is kicking, punching, and screaming. And that's what you see. So, I mean, that must be all it is, right? right? Right. Until you've been around long enough that you even hear the words Taiji or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. or, or someone say something about a different style and, and you go, what's mm-hmm. that word? What does that mean? And it's like, oh, there's other stuff. It's like, oh, okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. 
So you started at Jingwu. Um, when did you get into Qigong? When did you actually begin to learn Qigong? Was it at Jingwu mm-hmm. at the same time, or was was it Master Ma who really sort of real guided? deal? Yeah, it was with Master Ma. Like with the Jingwu, we did like a little bit of meditation stuff, but it was not. It was a kid on top of it, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, Master Ma was when. I really started doing anything that could be considered Qigong. And his stuff was, um, it was very folksy, if you will. I mean, big surprise family stuff. So, yeah. it, you know, a lot of mystical language and kind of poetic things. And like really very much like Zen Goans all the time. Right. Do this right. thing, you know, that I'm not even sure you understand. And then you tell me what you feel. That A lot yeah. of that would happen. Yeah. 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 But yeah, that's, that's the guy who kind of got me started on it. And the Moss system of... Qigong is, um, I mean, it's really small. There's not much to it. Mm-hmm. They weren't masters of the internal by any stretch of the means. Um, but uh, it's interesting because it is still transformative stuff. It's almost all based on martial arts rather than health. So it's almost all martial arts Qigongs. But they all do kind of combine together, if you will. If, when you do a hold of the system, it's like you've put together the Lego uh, the Lego pieces. Oh, finally, yeah, you okay. can see Right, right. Yeah. You, got, you got the blocks and you learn how to put them together to build the wall or the stairs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. exactly. And then it's like one day you kind of look back and you go, oh, that's what all this was about, right? So, right. I mean, I, I consider what they, that system is a type of internal alchemy because it's about self-change. It's just yeah. kind of through like a weird mountain pass of it because it's a lot of iron body and like right. getting hit and yeah, it's very strange. It's a very strange, weird one on the outside edges of what's normal, I would say. Because most of my normal kind of orthodox Qigong training came from, you know, Taiji people and Bagua people and, right, you know, right. Xingyi people and things like that. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, family arts are their own unique brand of awareness training. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, like, that area of China, around Shaolin and Chen Village, like every family has a martial arts style. Everybody, just because it was just martial arts Mecca, right? There's always been people through there. And yeah, I'm willing to bet that the other family systems have got super weird Qigongs too, but they all do the same sorts of things, right? They all do some sort of self-change that Mm. really makes a difference. I mean, like the the guys I was taught by, right? The Ma's, Ma means horse. Right. So, and it was because they had some land, so they raised horses. That was their last name, right? But because they raised horses, they actually had like horse stuff in their country. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, like there's a there's a really small horse system of fighting that they have. And it's well, it's based on a stallion rearing up and fighting yep. somebody else, right? Well, yeah, I, I know I know from Ten Animal, right? The the horse in Ten Animal is is very mm-hmm. much exactly that. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually kind of blown away when I started learning Town Animal because of that. Right. Because eh? I was like, holy crap, there's horse in here. I've never <laughs> seen anybody else do horse, right? Super oh, yeah. Cool. When I when I started learning Ten Animal, I mean, I, I already had, you know, like four years of Bagua and all my, oh, yeah. all my karate, all my Tai Chi. And then I started learning Ten Animal and I started seeing pieces and mm-hmm. the individual, like the structures of things that I'd already learned actually as an individual piece made a lot more sense and helped me understand a lot of the stuff that I'd already learned. Yeah. Well, I really believe that it's 
the, the people that can really learn the best are the people that find multiple teachers, get multiple observations and uh, objective perspectives on what they're doing. Yeah. And then you can kind of feel your way through it because all of this stuff is subjective. That's a certain point, right? Yep. I mean, yep. as a teacher, all we can do is do the thing, say the words, but <laughs> and you got to do the work and feel the thing. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, 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 I know. Yeah, there's nothing we can do about that. And it's the same for us, right? Like we've been doing it forever and we just keep doing it because we start to feel the thing. Yep. Then you start to get the, you know, that gives you momentum. Like, oh, wow, this Qigong, like it does something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm feeling better or I'm breathing deeper or whatever it might be, you know, this in your normal life, right? Yeah, you feel that space and you go, what, what else, like how far can I go with this? Like how how much depth is there really to this? I've been doing the APC Brocade for 30 years and standing stake for almost as long. And mm-hmm. My, uh, it never fails to blow my mind. Every single time I do the APs of Brocade, every single time I do standing state, there's mm-hmm. always something to learn. There's always another piece, a little nugget of, of uh, awareness that opens up or, you know, is renewed while I train. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's no, there's no end to any of them. You know, it takes three lifetimes to learn Tai Chi for a reason. It's yeah. not doable. Like, it's just not doable. You can get pretty good. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> you know, you can try to get pretty good in your life. But yeah, if you understand that. Then you, you know, I've understand. I've had I've had people ask me if I'm a master, and I just go, "Well, I'm pretty good at some things. I don't." You know. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I think that the word, the only reason somebody should be called a master is because other people call them that. Right. You know what I mean? If somebody else is like, "Oh, you know, Master Kelly taught me blah blah blah," then yeah, Kelly's a master because. That's what this guy said. And yeah, that's what all of those all... other guys said too. But the people that call themselves that, then there's an ego problem, right? Usually. I know. Like, I, don't, the first I don't like time, that word. No, me neither. Me neither. I mean, the first time I, I ever I ever got called a master by by another teacher, I literally did a double take and like I looked behind myself. <laughs> yeah, he's looking in my direction. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> I literally I just went and I realized I was the only person in that area of the room that you know I, I really think that that's how it works like becoming yeah. a master quote unquote yeah to me it means you're being it's not something you can be um it's not something you can be promoted to no no it's something you can be recognized as by other ones well you, you know the, the contribution to the arts the the way you support your community the way you support your your students really tells that story i feel you know mm. And that, that's what, one of the things that, I, that I've always looked for. And I've been really, really lucky myself. And, you know, finding people like you who believe in the same kind of principle and ethical approach to teaching and supporting their students has, you know, validated my own feelings of why I pursue the arts the way that I do and why I believe in supporting others in their journey, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that if you look at it from a larger, like a really large perspective, everybody's looking for something and everybody wants to have food for their soul. So everybody's hungry at first and either they, either they find it or they replace it with something else, you know, and people that find it, martial artists, Tai Chi people, Qigong people, Reiki people, yoga people, whatever, if they find it in that, in that particular art, that will be the thing that's that satisfying 
that's their food, right? And because yeah. of that, people like you and me happen because it's just right. it's what we exist on, right? It's just food to us. It's like yeah, I don't know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Food. It feels good. I'm gonna mm-hmm. just keep doing it. And I think because of that, as you do it longer, next thing you know, there's all these other people that are right where you were ten years ago, or yep. twenty years ago, or thirty years ago. And you're like, well, I am really not that much better than you guys. You don't realize that. But I could totally help you where you are. Because I did that. You yeah. know what I mean? Yep. And yep. I think that's that's how it works always in all of those arts, is that there's a point where your student mind realizes that the next stage of your evolution is compassion to other people. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you become a teacher, right? And then, you know, I mean, I, I would easily say I've learned more from teaching than I have from my masters. I, I would I would totally agree with that. When, when, when did you actually start teaching? Like how, how long, how far along in, in your training or your journey were you when you started teaching? Like, how did that happen? Like, okay, so I opened Red Jade. Yep. Like when I decided I'm going to like try to teach professionally sort of thing yep. uh, in 1999. Okay. And so I've been training 13, 14 years. Mm-hmm. I've been with probably three teachers, I guess, by then. The Jingwu, Master Ma, and then there were, I probably had trained with Master Chan a little bit at okay. that point. Or right. Gordon Chan is a swordsman. Um, so, yeah, about 14, 15 years. And I had decided that, you know, that, that I had this rank that I was given from these people. So obviously I have to be at this point. I'm allowed to teach according to them. So why not I'll try? Right. And it was the only thing I wanted to do anyway. You know, like to me, having a job was just in the way of practice. You know, <laughs> it's like all these hours oh, I could have been yeah, yeah. doing this or that. What the hell? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it was, it was my idea was that this is the perfect idea. You know, I get to get paid to go do what I would do for free. Right. With like-minded people that I can probably help. And that makes me feel good. Like this right. is a good gig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? It's a pretty good gig. So yeah, 99 was when that started. And then I, uh, yeah, it was the same sort of thing. It's love at first sight. I love watching people grow now. It used to be very, very selfish. My martial arts journey, like everybody's yep. that it's all about watching ourselves grow, trying to change, right? Getting, getting stronger, feeling that, that ego yeah. validation of, of, Oh, I know stuff. Yeah, exactly. And whatever it is, you know, and then it definitely changed from me being the guy that was trying to be awesome into, I want to see how well I can teach this person. And yeah. I, I mean, truly, my, my whole goal has always been, I kind of feel like I was always sort of a slow kid in class. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Just all the other guys quit. <laughs> okay? That's all there is to it. I'm just the last one standing. Right. But I always kind of felt like I took too long. So hmm. my goal has always been if I have somebody studying with me, that it's like, you know, in two years, I wonder if I can get you to where I was in five years. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, so I'm always kind of trying to refine how I teach more and more and more, which has really helped me, obviously, if I understand. Mm-hmm. Well, I I, I've, that I've noticed that too. It's like, that's how I approach teaching now. It's like, I realize all of these things that I did that weren't exactly precisely necessary, but they helped me, but there's potentially not, not exactly a faster way, but a more efficient way to impart 
the knowledge and the wisdom and to um, make someone else's progress more efficient. I think so. Yeah. I mean, to me, a lot of it has to do with language. A huge amount of it has to do with language. Because oh, yeah. if you if you have a, a Western background, right? Like before I started, you know, uh, learning all the Chinese culture stuff, somebody tries to teach me something and they're going to use a, a line of poetry from a country I don't know in, about something I don't understand in the first place. We've and then they're going to say, go stand there and think like that. You know, yeah. Yeah, like yeah, what yeah, am yeah, I supposed yeah. to do here? Yeah. Um, so I think like our generation, what our real task in a way is, is integrating, the, like getting integrated enough into the Chinese culture of thinking that we can act as translators. Yeah, yeah. Right? Because I mean, like I've had teachers tell me, well, like if you do folk language, most Qigong sounds crazy, <laughs> right? Like it's, yeah, yeah these are the right yeah, words, all, but you don't know why they're there. And the, and, the, and, the, and the regional folk stories and concepts from that, you know, regional dialect culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Things that everybody wouldn't, I mean, like even movement names, simple stuff like swallow skims the water. Well, everybody lived on a farm. Like yeah. you, everybody's seen that happen. It means the bird goes down and out. Okay. But you tell that to a kid who's born in modern day in a city. Yeah. 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 Talking about where's water. It's like, what's a <laughs> you know, like what? No. Yeah. No, no. Right. Exactly. So you have to act as a translator. Uh, yeah. I feel, especially in the more esoteric stuff because Qigong, the language of Qigong is difficult for Chinese people speaking the same language, number one. So there's already a level of obscurity that needs to be cut through. And then you have to take into consideration that we are all raised very differently than anybody was 300 years ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. Right? Yeah. So if you think like my brother, Kevin, he would always say that he figured it would take 10 years of, tra- of Qigong training to get to the point where a farmer 300 years ago would start. Hmm. Just because our lives are so busy yep. and we have so much stress and we have so many different things we're doing. Whereas 300 years ago, you know, when you got up in the morning to do your Qigong, like that's all there was going on. Man. Cause then it was go farm all day. Yep. You weren't worried about your Facebook or any of the other shit going on. Was, you yeah, just did your training and you were, because of that life, that meant that you didn't have a lot of the habits that people today have. Yeah, exactly. think about it. How much yeah. time do you spend with your students? Essentially deconstructing their cell phone problem. <laughs> I know. Right? Right? It's like, hey, welcome to the land of the smartphone. I guess now I'm a, I'm a stick your neck up, you moron guy. Like, this is what I do is pick people's heads up now. That's all I do. Yeah. Right? Because it's the culture that's doing it. Exactly. So when you look at the whole art and the whole art's like that. The whole art is referencing stuff that people don't realize is actually important but once it's put in context it just becomes another method of subjective change because mm-hmm. i mean you can feel it happen and other people will notice it happen yep yep well, i know like but, having, having grown up in the in the country myself like i lived in the country until i was 22 and literally for 10 years like i learned my first uh, I went to my first Qigong workshop uh, right before I turned 13. So it was almost 10 years to the day where I had, you know, even when I was going to university, I only went to school. I was only in the city twice a week. 
Totally. And I, I would, you know, the Tuesday, Thursday thing, and I would train. Yeah. And to me, that that became normal. That was like, so when I actually like moved into the city, I mean, I already, I already you know, understood that, you know, it was a different thing. Mm-hmm. But again, like, yeah, like that cultural context of having yeah, exactly. all the days, having all that time. I mean, I look at kids nowadays and people, you know, some of my, my best students are the ones who are older. Yeah, don't I have do. social media or who don't even have a, a smartphone. And, you know, one of, one of my um, students, Mike, he, he has, he has a computer. He's got a landline, but he's never, ever had a smartphone. Oh yeah. You know, and, and he, uh, you know, every once in a while, like, yeah, if I'm, if I'm late to class, he'll, you know, cause of traffic, he'll take over and, and start class. Like he's, you know, he's got cool. the foundation because again, yeah. and he, and he looks at the training the same way. It's like, well, you know, what am I going to do? Why would I want a phone? What, what do I need this for? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I go, yeah, it's, it's one of those necessary evils in our quote unquote, supposedly civilized modern age. Oh yeah. It's a powerful tool for sure. Yeah. But people forget that's what it is. Just it a tool. And it also changes communication an awful lot. Like this is one of the things like as a teacher, I've found like, as you said, that cell phone problem. Oh, that cell phone yeah. mindset is like an extra layer of illusion and control and programming that, you know, as a teacher, I find I have to, yeah, I have to address. Yeah. Even if people, it's like we have to give people remedies for illnesses they don't know they have. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can't just tell them, you know, like your neck sucks because you're on your phone too much. You can. People are okay with that. But you, then you can't be like, look me in the eyes when we're sparring. Why can't you yeah, look yeah, me yeah. in the eyes when you're sparring? It's because yeah. you never look anybody in the eyes because all you look at is your phone. So there's a layer there we have to deal, right? Yeah. I think, you know, I mean, this it's, it's kind of, I don't think I'm really straying from the topic, but you know, one of the things I've been thinking about, man, is um, I spend a lot of time with my Jewish friends overseas, right? When yeah. I go over there to teach in Israel yeah. and stuff. Yeah. So one of my friends, his son is bar mitzvah's coming. Oh, okay. Uh, next summer. Yeah. So, which kind of blows my mind because he's, I remember him getting born and all that stuff, right? So, well, now. But I was really thinking about this. And I had a conversation once with another uh, Sensei Daniel Kemplin about the same thing years ago. There's something missing from our culture. Yes. And it's that ritual of transformation. When people become adults, because I mean, really, what do we do? We sort of don't do anything other than like you get a grad ceremony at high school. Right. And you go to a big party, but that's about it. There's mm-hmm. nothing that's considered sort of meaningful uh, to the community, like where you really get any, any real support when you're younger. Because I mean, at 17, 18, that's one thing. But when you're 14 or 15, Something where all the grown-ups are honoring you, that's a big deal. Like, that's a big it deal. It is. And it's yes. real good for your confidence. Really good, right? Yep. Yep. And I, I don't know. I've been thinking that's one of those things because oh, I, I completely agree. Up, I, I completely there's things agree. like that. Where, you know, eventually you start throwing veils. That's a part of it. The yeah. older brothers could do it, and I couldn't. Right. Now right. I can. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. That kind of stuff. And it's very earthy, and it's very, like, real life kind of stuff like i feel like 
I was talking to my wife. I feel like every kid should have to learn how to swim. Right? Everybody. Yeah. You know why? Because you die otherwise if you're in the water. <laughs> yeah. It's a life skill. It's right? a life skill. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. Mm-hmm. Pre-industrial revolution, every community had their own communal ritual, rite of passage for birthdays, for springtime, mm-hmm. for fall time, you know, harvest moon, you know, the planting moons, all of those things. There are old connections to the earth and to just being alive on this planet that we used to celebrate mm-hmm. as communities. You're absolutely right. I, I completely agree with you. So, um, you know, Kelly's um, second daughter, um, Natasha's, you know, she's about to graduate high school. She's doing, the, we're doing the prom thing. I'm going to, we're going to volunteer and stuff like that. Like, I still remember my prom and how weird it felt being at my prom, like graduating high school. Did you just say you're volunteering at her prom? Yeah, I'm volunteering. We're going to do security. Are you going to be a, like the guy standing there? Ruining I'm going to be like, yeah, yeah no, exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you bet, man. It's like when, when Kelly, yeah, asked, real you nice. blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're doing <laughs> Did she ask you? Yeah, she did. Oh, okay. It's her own fault then. Yeah, it's her, <laughs> it's her own fault. Kill her. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, all right. Yeah. You know, and, and it's weird because having found, you know, Kelly and her four kids and having known them uh, and, and watched them grow up over the last few years, it is something that I've actually really thought about. And again, it's just like, yeah, you know, the, the martial arts are a really good way to instill a sense of personal confidence, personal pride mm-hmm. and self-love, to be perfectly honest. Because you're giving yourself that gift of strength, mentally, emotionally, and physically, and spiritually, really. And and there is a really great thing about that, about like curriculums, you know, because just that little reward goes a long way, you know. It really like does. I, I got my first black sash when I was like 16 or 17, mm-hmm. like right in that sort of bar mitzvah-y, you know, you're really becoming a person age, yeah, gaining right. agency. Yep. And it was super good for me. Cool. You know, like that was, that was a big deal. Like I had finally accomplished something and I, I hadn't graduated high school or anything. Right. I'm 16 years old. Right. Like there hasn't been a big accomplishment yet in my life. Mm-hmm. I really think it's a really useful thing. And that's one of the reasons I think that people should be teaching rewarding their students for good behavior. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's I mean, stuff. what, uh, what you, you and I were talking about on, on that call with the Red Jade group. Yeah. A couple days ago, talking about curriculum, um, you know, Kelly and I want to set up this school out in the country. And it just, you know, it feels right. And it's sort of one of those things as well. Yeah, when I was living, like, this is where my mom and dad live, where, where I grew up. Yeah. And I remember as a kid going, man, I wish there was martial arts out here. Man, I wish I could, like, do something to yeah. learn, right, to understand how to, you know, be confident, be strong, you know, all those other things. I mean, I was, I was really lucky. My dad drove me to my first Qigong workshop and he drove me for like four years to do Qigong with this Wudong group, you know, totally blessed with the support of my mom and dad. And, you know, it, it just struck me. I've been kind of, you know, having in high and the, the pandemic the last couple of years has made things, you know, weird and put everything oh, yeah. up in the air. 
And then I, I reconnected with uh, an old, you know, an old friend that I went to um, grade school with and, uh, and he lives, you know, 20 minutes, 15 minutes from my mom and dad. And, and I know there's a community center out there. There's a brand new community center out there. That's beautiful. And it's just like, yeah, you know, kind of like giving back to the community because. Absolutely. I mean, we were, we were attracted to martial arts even before we noticed it was for self-help. Yeah. I mean, I was attracted to martial arts to kick a bully's ass. It was not about self-help Neil. <laughs> you know, it was about smash him. Smash him. So I'm yeah, never yeah. going to pretend that it was otherwise. No. But it de- definitely changed. My perspective changed over time as I watched myself change because you can't ignore it eventually. No you, no, you can't. You can't. Right? Yeah. And it's that means that there's other people attracted to the same thing. Mm-hmm. That just aren't quite as far down the road as we are they got less you know gray hairs on their chin and whatever yeah yeah so you know you think about how much hardship you had to go through or i had to go through plane tickets and everything to oh, go yeah. get the information that we really just wanted for ourselves mm-hmm. i mm-hmm. mean right that's me really that was the deal i wanted to be really good at martial arts i really didn't care if my aunt's kid was good at martial arts <laughs> you know it was not my thing i don't i don't care yeah. but you know, as you get older and you start to look, you can realize that, okay, well, this is only one path. But, like, somehow, um, there's not that many old titans left, even, to talk about it. Like, yeah. We're starting to have to be the elders that are going to pick it up, right? So, I mean, how many people are in your community? How many younger people, older people, that might be really needing that Qigong class? But they don't even realize it. Yeah. And they'll never get it unless you choose to be compassionate, right? Mm-hmm, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we just got to share what we have. And if people dig it, they dig it. And if they don't, yeah. that's cool. Well, and, and it's a great sort of uh, small little community. I mean, it is really small, not even like a stop sign. <laughs> or actually, no, 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 correction. They do have a stop sign. <laughs> but mm. um, it, yeah, it, it is. There's a, there's a real feeling of, you know, wanting to give back. I think it's a natural yin yang reversal. Yeah, right. Our yeah. whole path starts with violence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Usually a fear of violence because mm-hmm. we want to be defending ourselves or whatever. That's why we join. Yep. If we're afraid of violence, and then usually I'd say the first thing that happens is suddenly you stop being afraid of violence. And then you have to go through this like, okay, so what the hell am I still doing here? Why am I still practicing and sweating my balls off <laughs> if I'm not afraid anymore? Exactly. If, if fear is not the motivation anymore. Yeah, and it that usually takes a few years before no. fear drops like that. No. So then, yeah, you're you're a few years deep in thousands of dollars and all this other stuff, and it's like, what's my motivation now? Yeah. But I think that's where those yin yang reversals happen because if it's like, wow, I don't feel afraid of violence anymore. Wow, mm. I've really learned a lot. If you just start, turn around and look at the rest of the class, you're going to find out almost everybody else is afraid of violence still. And now you realize what a quote a blue belt is or a black belt is or something. That's whoa, that's what the rank means. <clears throat> oh <clears throat> shit. Okay. <clears throat> and I think that should inspire a bodhisattva uh, compassionate part of us. Because you know, you walk into a room with 20 people, and you know, you're the martial arts teacher. If you walk in thinking, I am gonna kick these guys' ass and they're gonna be so impressed, you're yeah, not gonna yeah. be a great teacher. But nope. if you walk in and go, how many of you are afraid of violence? 
Let's see if we can deal with that. Right. It's almost everybody. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, it was me. I still don't like it. I've just been punched enough that I kind of don't care anymore. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I know. I know, right? Like, that was one of the, that was a big threshold for me when I realized I wasn't afraid of violence anymore. And how different my mindset was in terms of not needing to prove myself or not needing to have, quote unquote, a concept of power motivating me to hide my fear of violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Masking it. Yeah. So when I stopped needing to hide my fear of violence because my fear of violence had disappeared, there was this completely new space that changed my entire perspective on why I was training, why I was teaching, why I was so passionate about this stuff why I wanted to share and why I wanted to give back and why I wanted to help other people understand more of themselves too. It's funny too, because I feel it also changes the way we practice. I mean, the exact same moves yesterday, yeah. all, you know, that we're all about mayhem or whatever. Suddenly today, they're meditation. Even though they're the same destructive movements, but your mind's different. Yep. You're, wow, looking at this from a totally different perspective. I mean, to me, that's what martial arts is. That's what all the real paths are. They're ways to take somebody who has grown up in a particular cultural situation, and that means they're in a fishbowl. They see the world a certain way, just like everybody else, right? And just give them enough kind of knocks around and enough things to think about that they start to realize there's other ways to be in the world. That's it. And as soon as that realization kind of happens then all of the martial arts ones start to work. Oh, uh, you know, like, if you want to be able to defend yourself really well, maybe you should think about not, you know, trying to defend yourself. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You don't have to, you don't have to beat me. I'm going to beat you up. That sort of a thing. My yeah. master ma used to say, literally, uh, there's this one drill we would do. Okay? You get all the guys, five, six guys or whatever, in a circle, and you stick one person in the center. Mm-hmm. Is going to be the sucker. And each person, one at a time from the circle, would attack. Right? And then the person in the center had to do their martial arts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And once you were good at it, once you could do it quickly, you could deal with a group of people, sort of, then he would always say, okay, now, you who are in the center, they're still going to attack, but you're not in here waiting for them. You're hunting them. Right. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the whole drill was different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, if you were in the circle, you were like, "I don't want to throw a punch to you. Screw that! It's going to beat me up." Right. Whereas a moment ago, it was no big deal. Mm-hmm. Right. But that's that. It's allowing that mental change to happen over and over. Every drill does it. If it's you know, if you orchestrate it, you can orchestrate it that people's minds are always being pushed just to see things a little differently than normal. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's the way I see it. Because I mean, you look at the beginning of martial arts, you know, MMA type stuff. It's very linear, kind of just normal person thinking. If you yep, yep, punches and kicks. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nope. But I don't want to be normal. Don't like it. It's boring. Normal sucks, you know. And as my master George Shu tells me, he says, "You want to be like everybody else. Train like everybody else." Right, right. But if you don't, mm-hmm. then you got to think about what's going on, really. Right. On this, that's one of the reasons why I love the internals so much. 
is because they really do get you to feel, listen, and look at things differently. And I mean, I'm so grateful that I had my pieces of brocade, my Qigong when I was so young, like right at the beginning of my journey, because I would always use that as a feeling threshold, a feeling filter, always going back to that space where I could listen to my body, listen to what I was feeling, thinking. So when I was in situations, I could listen to the reaction of my mind and how I was actually viewing the situation and eventually, you know, developing that ability to step into observation instead of being in that fight and flight, like being in the center of that circle instead of. Mm -hmm. That's a very, I mean, that already is a a yin-yang flip, right? Yep. For a, a beginner student to get to that place where you're going, oh, I'm supposed to act, not react. Yep. Whoa. Like that's a big deal. Yep. Just that is a big deal. You it know? is. Uh, it really is. It really is. How do I do that in my everyday life? And that's what's great is, I mean, one of the things I love about martial arts, truly, is that this kind of esoteric stuff where you talk about, you know, fear of violence or whatever, if we can actually test it. Yeah. We can actually stress test yep. what you're working on so that if it's, you know, um, I don't think I'm afraid to be attacked, but like I was attacked once and I'm very sensitive about my neck being grabbed. I've mm. heard this one for sure. Mm. Okay. So, I mean, you can teach that person a bunch of arm grabs and whatever. They're cool. <clears throat> and then you got to start the top stuff. You got to test your neck. Yep. And that is a whole transformation between I'm, you know, being ambushed and violated or, well, everywhere else I grab you, I'm the victim suddenly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. You make me the victim every single time. Right. It's mm. this is, grabbing this is just like grabbing this. And yep. then what will happen is, you know, slowly their mind will take both of those concepts and put them together and go, oh, so what we're doing really is about maintaining my sense of self, yep. my sense of control, my fear, my anxieties and my action reaction. Yep. Right. Am I going to make decisions here or am I going to act like an ape? Because that's yeah. all we basically do, right? Yeah. Our instincts kind of suck. I mean, that's why martial arts exist. Otherwise, we, we wouldn't need them because we'd just be awesome fighters. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. The, the shift in perceptual paradigms of, as you said, doing that yin-yang flip mm-hmm. is one of the things that fascinates me the most about teaching martial arts. Because I know, like, when I started, when my grandpa taught me how to box the summer between grade five and six. And even when I dealt with some of the bullies in grade six, I was still scared of violence. And -hmm. it wasn't until, you know, uh, really having a couple really knock down drag out fights on, on the school playground that I really began to understand how important control was, how important controlling myself and not getting triggered by the fear really was. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it wasn't until, you know, years later that I actually understood what I was trying to do at such a young age um, and not give in to the fear, even though I had the fear, you know, surface and be present. And then I would deal with the situation, um, deal with the bullies or people who were, you know, trying to pick on me. And, yeah, it wasn't until years later where I was, you know, doing Kempo Karate and especially, especially after I started learning Bagua, 
where the stress on the body from the training and the conditioning really changes the nervous system. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, went to that. Yeah. <laughs> and just training would trigger me and bring up an awful lot of stuff because of how much you're doing it at once, how much mm-hmm. your, your nervous system, your brain, your linear brain is trying to cope with at once, just circle walking. <laughs> well, and you're like, it's almost like you grab, because we have coping mechanisms that are sort of buried in our tissue. Yep. You know, like, you know, yep. we stress in our neck and whatever. Yep. And the way Bogwan moves, it's like, it takes your coping mechanisms and like massages them very mm-hmm. hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you can't exactly ignore it for very long. You know, okay. it's like, oh, you hold all your fear in your neck. Let's look at that. <laughs> you know, right? But you can't circle walk otherwise. You have to like, turn oh. away, and it's just messing with you, right? <clears throat> That's what's so great about it is it's facing yourself, right? If you yep. face yourself over and over, then you start to get an idea of the fact that, well, realistically, what's the whole deal? We start to realize our perception isn't what's real. We can perceive things differently just by our minds, That's just right. by changing the way our minds are. I've met lots of people who said uh, stuff to me like, you know, your martial arts really good, but I don't understand this whole chi thing that you talk about sometimes. And it's like, well, okay, let's look at it from this point of view. What if we just say that chi doesn't mean energy anymore? Let's just make it mean relationship. And now I'll say all the same sentences. You know, put your neck up like this. So the relationship between your head and your shoulders looks like this. And you do that with somebody and suddenly they're like, well, is that really the same thing? Well, yeah. Stand there for five minutes. You're going to feel weird, man. Oh, yeah. You're going to have some kind of weird thing that you're going to try to tell someone else. And what are you going to say? I felt weird. (laughs) Thus, the word chi, right? I felt my chi finally. Because yeah. now it's this placeholder word. Because it's almost not even like, it's almost not something definable, right? It's an abstract yeah. concept of relationship. It's not like it's a, a bottle or something. Yeah, it's, it's not like, like all agree on it's a brick of concrete. This is a brick of concrete. It's like, no, it is very abstract. You're absolutely right. And it requires that space of being able to listen and to feel. And I, I, mean, I always explain things five or six different ways. With different analogies, yeah. you know, tying your shoes. I've used driving tractors, you know, planting seeds, you know, chopping wood, you know, all sorts of analogies or, you know, flying a kite. Like here's a string. You can feel the string in your hand. You can feel the pull. That is your structure that, you know, all sorts of different ways to describe stuff so that people don't get like, oh, well, this is like chi and this is what it means. It's like, no, there are all these different relationships there are all these different ways of looking at it, of feeling the relationship with your body and what your body is telling you and what your body's own relationship with itself actually means. Exactly. And then when you experience those signposts that happen in Qigong, like you feel kind of sweaty or you get warm or feel like you're getting bigger, like there's all kinds of weird ones. Yeah. That's your nervous system trying to sort out what you've done to it. <laughs> you, know, you just did something to it and it's trying to figure it out. Yep. It's process the information. Yeah. Exactly. That's why you're told to, after a really crazy Qigong, you're told to like chill out, go for a walk, have some tea. But it's not because, you know, magical bad things will happen. It's because you're going to feel super weird and you're going to need a sec for your body to sort its shit out. Yeah. You're going to need that space to process and integrate all that yeah. information. 
Right? I mean, I know after I do a Qigong, like a good Qigong, I don't want to like go to the grocery store or something right away. I know. Too right? weirded out. You know, I'm, I'm busy sorting my stuff out. It's like, it where, where, where's the sun? Where's my lawn chair? Where's my, you know? Yeah. Get a chill. Yeah. 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 Take a, either. Yeah, I know, right? It's important to note, too, though, that you don't have, not every Qigong session is like that. No. Sometimes it's like nothing. Yep. It's just the repetition in the hours, right? Eventually, signposts sort of appear. And you'll get, that's usually where you get questions from students is like, I had this weird, I started to get hot and sweaty in the middle of a thing. Oh yeah, that's a good sign, you know, yep. whatever it would be. And then, then they're, it's just like giving them a rank in Qigong and all. They hit a signpost, you acknowledge it and they feel good and, oh, okay, yeah, we should move forward now. Well, especially when the body, like if a person has a lot of tension and that tension is finally dissolving, I've had students where it's like, hey, well, my my like lower legs like down from my knees down to my toes it felt like super loose and like they were flopping around but i'd I look down and my i swear you know i swear my my feet were flopping around but they worked <laughs> because everything felt different right and so you got to process that so i was just like yeah 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 you know? well it's all about that removing of the mind body dualism eventually but yeah. you got to do that in piece by piece by piece that's how and, it, and it takes a long time sometimes I mean, depending mm-hmm. on how much tension a person has in their system. I mean, I, I know for myself, because I was a power lifter and a bodybuilder before I, I got into uh, Bagua, that mm-hmm. my physical tension accumulating in my muscles was, it wasn't a barrier, but it was a huge learning experience. Uh feeling my body open up and registering all of those <laughs> muscle groups that had been conditioned to be tight and mm-hmm. tense. And I mean, there's a period of three years where like every joint in my body hurt. Right. Yeah. Uh, my lower back, especially from like doing all the deadlifts and all the squats and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, I felt like my lower back was a mess and I go to the doctor and he's like, no, 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 that's wrong. Go to a massage therapist. No, no, you just got tight muscles. Like, go to chiropractor. Yeah, no, no, tight muscles. So I was just like, you know, all right. Okay. You know, learning how to listen to my body and let go of that preconceived notion of how my body should move. Mm-hmm. Listening to what my body was actually doing while I was moving and while I was retraining it to be more relaxed yeah yeah it's really about being natural right yeah it really is but you don't really notice that you're not relaxed <laughs> i mean i don't know how many times i've had touchy teachers tell me to relax yeah and in you know i'm always like oh yes okay sure and inside right. i'm like come on this <laughs> is relaxed <laughs> i am relaxed what are you talking about are you kidding are you me talking about I've never been more relaxed. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and it's just like, and you know, five years later, you should relax more. Oh, come on. <laughs> it's, it's just the way it is. It, you know, it is. Watch, yeah. You yeah. watch like uh, our brothers in the animal kingdom. You watch an ape wander around, roll around on the ground. I'm not that relaxed. That's pretty relaxed. <laughs> you know, that's where we need to be. We need to be totally natural. Yep. We sure have a lot in our own way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this is sort of like, you know, the thing where one of the things that I've come to understand about all the esoteric stuff or all the quote unquote mystical aspects of Qigong or training mm-hmm. and awareness training is that it's the same thing. Whether or not it's your mind, your awareness or your body or your heart, 
it is all about being relaxed. It is all about letting go of those spaces of tension or of trauma or of the understanding of limited beliefs that we've had about ourselves or about what our training is supposed to give us. Right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it comes to um, assumptions. I think Yeah, we have a lot of self assumptions yep. that we don't even realize we have at the beginning, like the, the coaching, the executive coaching program that I'm doing now. Yep. Um, that's, that's actually where it starts, the fibrin system. It starts with some little bit of inner work where you're taking a look at your own assumptions, your own patterns of behavior. Because if somebody wants to change, right? They want to change their martial arts to be better. They want to change to be a better leader or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then they first have to take a look at what is already going on, right? Am I afraid of violence? Am I this person? Am I like, what is really happening? And as soon as that kind of gets determined and you see your patterns of behavior with a little critical insight, a person can really start to cut in and go, okay, you know, I always act this way yes. when somebody is sad. Right. Yep. That's obviously my pattern and that's my assumption. Yep. But the critical insight part, that's the second ring, is, well, is it is it good for me or not? Because, I mean, some of those patterns are good. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Somebody wins their that's yep. a good pattern. Fine, I'll keep that. But as you, if you start really looking through them all, you're going to find some that are developed from childhood mm-hmm. or previous jobs, previous relationships, and they might have served you then. Like it might have been an okay situation to be that way to do, run that pattern then, but things change, right? You're yeah. in a different place in a different yep. time. Maybe it's not a time to be racist anymore or what you know whatever oh yeah judgment Judgment patterns feed fear so and that's one of the things you know that when i stopped being afraid of violence i realized how like my even though I, i stopped being afraid of violence there are parts of my awareness that kept on trying to push that button and kept on trying to hook me back in hook me into that loop of judgment and separation and fear of all on you know with regards to all sorts of things and it's like oh, oh yeah there's a, there's a deeper there's a deeper level of patterns going on here so i don't oh, have dude. this yeah right right one of my favorite things to do truly for my training mm-hmm. is when i travel i like to go walk through places i shouldn't right. because and it's because um what i've really learned from it at first i was doing it just to see okay right um but what i've really learned from it is the less you it's not even just not even having fear it's the more you empathize with who's there the right. more right you're not a victim anymore right it's not that you got to be the guy who's so tough no one would dare mm-hmm. but it's the hey man i belong here just as much as you do you know life is life yeah and it, never any problems that at right. least in my life i mean yeah i get that i don't look like a 110 pound woman sure i'm not a super victim looking guy but Mm -hmm. it just seems like doing that has made me more and more sensitive to what i assume women go through a lot more than us like am i being followed does that guy have a guy yeah right Right. kind of stuff you know and we're canadian we don't go through that shit no so you know when you're in israel or something and you're being followed by a group of people you start to go okay 
this is this is that awareness thing that is tickling the back of my neck that I've heard of, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, then it's it's all work. Okay, well, I'm not going to be afraid of this. There's way better ways to take care of this, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, right? And you go into the store and hang out and look at jewelry for a while or whatever, and then walk by. But it's an interesting thing to watch it, um, like in myself, that particular incident I'm talking about, because I'd been in street fights and stuff before. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't like, it wasn't like I was like, oh, oh, I'm going to get in a fight. It was more like, I just really don't want trouble right i can feel that's what you're up to you know what i mean yep so there's a way to there's a way to dissolve this situation that we should just do Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. one did the thing but it's it's yeah those different levels of awareness are really important and there's kind of i don't think uh, i don't think there's ever a an end to it there's always something else you know something bigger to do to take a look at the perspective i think that's the real trick is micro and macro perspectives if you can dial your attention all the way in to do like say a qigong and feel what part of your body's breathing yep. if you can get that kind of power yep. of your mind then there's no reason you can't expand that and start looking at your patterns of behavior in the world and everything else right you're mm, you're yeah. trained now to understand that right yes. you get how these things work because when it, when we train our bodies it's the same we're looking at our assumptions and our patterns of behavior and we're changing one of one of the things that I that I learned really well from one of my teachers, Phil, even though he'll uh, disavow ever teaching me anything because he's just that oh, yeah. you know um, Chinese trained in Hong Kong traditionally came here to Canada. Uh, his teacher, you know, he's the one who taught me I Ching. Uh, teacher, his teacher in in Hong Kong sent him like care packages and manuals and stuff like that. And he used to run a coffee shop here in Winnipeg in, in one of the malls in, in Polo Park. And he would go and spend half an hour, like his break, standing in, in, wow. in the storage unit, right? <laughs> I'm going, well, yeah, that's my break. It's like I go and stand. I'm like, wow, okay, all right. <laughs> and, you know, he was really inspiring and really got me into putting more and more time into my standing stake. And it wasn't until I got into like doing the second level of medical Qigong, the, the Shaolin stuff that mm-hmm. I do, that I really began to go, oh, yeah, those deeper layers, they're there. They're accessible, but you got to, you know, you got to put the time in to get to make those connections and, and begin to feel them. Thank you for joining us today on The Open Door. We enjoyed our discussion and hope you did too. Until next time, we are Kelly and Kelly. <laughs>